Amen. If you want to grab your Bibles here tonight, we're going to turn to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. And I really feel impressed uh, to share a, a word from God here tonight. And if you would just give me some time here tonight to speak into your life. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter Number 25, we're just going to begin in verse number 1. It says that Samuel died, or and Samuel died. It's very key that you note these three words which begin this chapter. These three words, and Samuel died. It continues that all the Israelites were gathered together, and they lamented him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. And then come three more words which advance the narrative in this chapter. These three words are that David arose. So to understand the point, it said at first that Samuel died. And then the next thing which was building the story, it says that David arose. This story here is a story about David. The death of Samuel is about the timing with David. You understand that? That this is really, it's not really a story about Samuel and his death. It's a story about David. And the fact of Samuel's death tells us a little bit about something uh, in the time and what David was feeling in this time or what he was uh, grieving or how he was uh, dealing with this moment. So, We read here, continuing on, it says that David, he arose and he went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel. And the man was very great and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. And now the name of the man was Nabal. And the man, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish and evil in his doings. And he was of the house of Caleb. If you could just look at your neighbor and tell them this story is about transition. I know it's a Wednesday night tonight, but I feel just led to come And to preach something to you tonight, the title of my message is this, the two voices in your time of transition. Two voices in your time of transition. I believe that there are two voices in every transition. In every period of transition that you go into or that you find yourself in, there will be two voices that will be present Everyone in this room understands that you can be overtaken by a fault, that we understand that there are fiery darts from the wicked one that will come against us. And those are things that they they come from the outside. We talk about things like the shield of faith that is protecting us from these things of the enemy, these attacks from the enemy. And what we don't understand sometimes is the fact that many uh, times the enemy is within us. Scripture says that within us is no good thing. Verses like in Romans where it says, 
I would do good, but evil is present with me because sin is within my members. I would do good that I would do that I did that what I didn't want to do, but I ended up doing something that I didn't want to do. Why was it? Because sin is within me. And I realize that within our culture today to say that you hear voices in your head, you may be labeled as somebody who's crazy or has some type of mental illness. But the fact of the matter is that everybody here tonight has voices of some sort within Primarily, voices of insecurity that make us feel a certain way. I'm not talking about audible voices that are speaking out. I'm not talking about some type of eerie type of a voice. I'm talking about something from within that speaks to you and it makes you feel a, a certain way. So it makes you feel uh, you know, as if, you know, these other, these people on the outside don't like you or that, you know, they didn't shake your hand because, uh, because they have something against you and you're not welcome there. You're not good enough. There's all these voices that can begin to speak to us. Does anybody relate to that? You'll never be accepted perhaps, or, you know, these, these type of voices that are there and, and if we get to our story, we, we look at David, this man David, and, and what was it that David was primarily known for? You think of David, we look at him from an early age as the giant killer, right? David was the one who killed Goliath. That's what we think of. He was known for being a giant killer. But when you begin to study David, we see there are transitional periods. In fact, there was a very long transitional period that David was in that was going from a transition of a shepherd boy into that of a king. This was a transition of life. And, you know, life, it's it's full of transitions. Life is full of transitions. Uh, you, you can talk about the transition. If you can think back to the, to the time. For some, it's a long time ago. For some, not long ago at all. But that first day of high school that uh, you came into. And, and it was a transition. You began... Uh, to see things, you know, it was, it was a new environment. If, if, uh, perhaps you went to a school where there were several middle schools coming together, there's a lot of people, uh, a lot of new people that, uh, you're gonna run into in the hallways and that's a transition period in your life. But then there's another transition beyond that where you go from being a youth to a young adult and that can be quite a transition. Or from being single to being married. That's a transition. There's a lot that you have to learn from being single to the point of being married. And there's, uh, there's still things I'm sure that, uh, that you, you transition. It's there, there's, that you're learning, uh, during that uh, transition from being single to being married. And then from being married and just the two of you to now being married with children. And that is a transition. It changes things in the house. There's, there's some big changes that really happen. You know, you can, uh, you can, uh, really see a difference in, in, uh, what you are able to just go and do when all of a sudden you have kids in the house and it's no, no longer as easy to just 
go and do things? Or how about from being married to not being married? It's a transition. It really is. You can find yourself facing a quiet house alone as a widow or as a widower. Or even as a divorcee. These are transitions of life. A transition. Perhaps it's, it's something uh, of maybe a little less uh, importance here. Maybe, uh, but a transition nonetheless from being a student to being an employee. Or from being an employee to a boss. These are transitions that we go through in life. How, how about this transition? A transition from sinner to saint. Thank God. I'm no longer the person that I used to be. Come on. But, but God came and he saved me. And I went from being one who was bound by sin to one who was set free in Jesus' name. Amen. But not just sinner to saint, but we can still transition from being uh, somebody who's just a a member of a church, which uh, not to say that that's a bad thing at all, but from being a member to a church to somebody who is then fulfilling a role of ministry within the church. And we see a transition as you begin to get invested in the body of Christ and invested in, in dis- finding disciples and discipling others. And there's a transition that begins to take place and and you have people who begin to depend on you and you're dealing with all these insecurities about who you are and are you really able to do this and and you know and do I even have enough value to really be in this place and you know how about the transition of going from being a minister just a minister to a pastor I'll never forget that transition for myself there was there were a lot of changes that went with that transition and changes in expectations and you know there's there's all kinds of transitions that we face in our life and and these things that they begin to, to morph and change then we can always almost always find ourselves in a place of transition but the thing about transitions is that no matter what type of transition it is whether it's progress or it's digress Every transition is going to have voices in it. And when David was transitioning to be the king of Israel, Nabal was a distraction to him. We began there with our text tonight there in 1 Samuel chapter 25. The chapter began with three words that indicated this time of transition that David was in. He was in a larger scheme, still in this transition from shepherd boy, or you could even uh, qualify him as giant killer, because uh, he had done that at this point, uh, uh, to a king. But he was not yet the king. He'd been anointed king by Samuel, but he was not yet fulfilling the role of king. Rather, he's on the run from the king, because the king wants to kill him. And so we see, de- uh, we see this uh, time of transition, though, when we really focus in. It's a time where it says that Samuel died. Time of transition. And then we read, David arose. Now where is he going? He was fleeing from Saul. 
David. He'd already been anointed the king of Israel. Samuel had anointed David with the horn of oil. He had said, you are the captain of Israel. You are the one who God has chosen. Don't forget that, that he anointed him while Saul was still king, that he had to do it in secret because King Saul would have killed anybody who was a threat to his throne. And so here we find it's not a chapter uh, later that after that anointing that, that we find David facing Goliath and he's facing face to face with Goliath. All the while you have Saul and the rest of the Israelite army that's afraid. But David steps forward in confidence. He takes that stone, puts it in his sling, throws it up, and, and he nails the giant right between his eyes, and he knocks him down. And then, not long after, you have all the people in Israel that are singing, Saul's killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And jealousy comes over Saul David here is the one who he's been anointed to be the next king. Not that Saul knows that, but he can see that God has favor, uh, is showing favor to David. And so Saul begins to take javelins and he throws them at David. They're sitting, they're just sitting there at the dinner table. They're, David's over there in the palace now because after killing Goliath, uh, he was, uh, he was offered to marry uh, the, the daughter of Saul. And so he married Michael, Michael and, and they, uh, so he's there in the palace, but he eventually has to run for his life and he goes into the wilderness because his father-in-law is trying to kill him. You know, sometimes we're called into greatness and it ends up that we get pushed way outside of our comfort zone. And how we expected it all to happen is not at all how it ends up happening. Sometimes you get rejected by the people who should be supporting you. Sometimes you get rejected by the people who should be admiring what God is doing in your life. But that's, you know, that's, that's not what's happening. Instead, instead, he's not getting the admiration. He's not getting, uh, you know, this man that, that is, is showing him, you know, a, 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 some confidence in, in what God is doing in his life. Instead, he gets knives thrown at him. He has to flee from this place. And he ends up in this cave of Adullam. At one point, he actually ends up in the, at the gates of the city of Gath, which Gath is a Philistine city. And he ends up there. He's like foaming at his mouth. He's tired. He's completely weary. He comes there and, and they bring him in. But eventually they say, hey, wait a minute. You're the giant killer. I don't think you really belong here with us Philistines. And so David leaves there and he goes and he finds himself in a cave. And it's one of the lowest moments in David's life in 1 Samuel 22. Where he's in this cave of Adullam and 400 men find him there in this cave of Adullam. And they say to him, we want you to be our captain. And David, he had fled from Gath. They'd even kicked him, they, they kicked him out of the Philistine camp. And, and now he, he's, he has these 400 men who are there and they're saying, we want you to be our captain. And he's like, can't you tell I'm homeless? Why would you want to follow me? Why, why would you want to follow a guy like me? And, and, and there's, but these men, they, they saw something in David. They saw something in him. And can I just tell you that sometimes these states of transition, they can make you feel lowly as if you're nothing. But there are some around you who can still see greatness in your life. 
And while you're trying to hide in a cave of your inadequacy, you need to listen to the church that's around you and telling you, come on, there's something great in you. There's something powerful in you. The hand of the Lord is upon you. Come on, there's somebody around you. And there's times in your life and when you get in a place of transition where you just see yourself through all through the eyes of your insecurities and, the, and, and through the past mistakes that you've made and all these things that have, at, that have led you to the place where you're at. And you understand that you're in a place of transition, but you feel as if it's just pushing you back pushing you back pushing you back when the reality is sometimes it looks like you're being pushed back but really God is just getting you ready to go forward into a greater future in a greater thing that he has in store for you and you still have the hand of God on your life and I'm thankful for a church and I'm thankful for people that will come around us in those times and tell you and tell me come on that you're not finished come on God started it and he's not done with you yet i'm thankful for people that would come around me and tell me you come on god's gonna do something in you in fact i want to be that person for somebody else i want to i want to be that person an encourager amen the church needs more encouragers We need more encouragers that come alongside people and let them know come on you have great things in store for your life See, Saul is trying to kill David. He ends up on the side of a mountain with these men who would come and they're now following him. And then at a specific time, Saul, he was trying to kill him and he gets up on the side of the mountain at that time. Uh, that's when it's, we get there in chapter 25 when the prophet Samuel dies. So when Samuel died, it was a grief to an entire nation. The Bible says that as a prophet of God, not one of the words of Samuel ever fell to the ground. He was a mighty man of God. But in this narrative, what, what role did Samuel play in David's life? See, for David, Samuel was the voice of validation. Samuel was the one who came to David when he was just a lowly shepherd boy and told him, you're going to be the king. You're the one whom the hand of the Lord is upon. You are the one who God has anointed. Samuel was the one who opened up that horn of oil and poured it over the head of David and told him, God is going to use you mightily. Samuel was the one who continued to encourage David and tell him, don't you forget the anointing that's upon your life. Don't you forget what God has called you to. Just come on. Samuel was the voice of validation for David. And so now Samuel dies. Where was the voice of validation going to come from now that the prophet was dead? Where would that voice from the prophet be? Where would that voice of encouragement come from? Where would the voice of confirmation of, of who he was going to become? Who, where was that voice going to come from? That voice has been silenced. The voice of the prophet has been silenced. The voice of the one who would validate who he was has been silenced. Well, that is why we need these voices of encouragement, church. 
Because you get into the house of God and God, he says, oh, well, this is what I, this is what you have. These are the plans that I have for you. You are not, you are not the lowly one who in your mind you feel that you are. Come on, but we, I believe that God has blessings and God has, and God has promises that he wants to fulfill in your life. And you get into the church and you have people like Samuel that'll come and they'll begin to tell you of all the things that God has in store for you. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, I believe that God will raise up a standard against him. Come on, there's promises about the fact of what of God's people are going to be standing in the end. That the enemy is not going to cut us all down. That the enemy does not win in the end. And I think we ought to praise God. I think we ought to praise God for encouraging us with his promises. Amen. God, he loves us. The word of God speaks life into us. Now, I realize that the devil has voices as well. I realize that the devil, he speaks in our life as well. And he he can come as a roaring lion. Sister Wagner just talked about that, about the roaring lion that... The devil will come and he'll begin to speak. And Jesus, he even told Simon Peter that Satan desires to sift you as wheat. But I pray for your faith that it would not fail you. And I come here tonight, though, not to preach as much about those external voices as I've come to preach about the internal voices. Because it's the voice that's within you that oftentimes is more dangerous than any than any of these voices on the outside. It's the voice that you sleep with at night. The inner voice, that thing that's speaking to you, that voice that talks to you and that television is off, or the phone is off, or the voice that, that you can't get away from, that voice that even if you were to climb the highest mountain, that voice would still be right there with you. And you can go a lot of places. You can have a lot of different transitions in your life. You can have a lot of money. You can have all kinds of things. But you cannot get away from the voice that is within you. It's a voice that's not a voice from the devil. It's not even a voice from God. It's a voice that is in your flesh. It's a voice that's not so much heard by others, but they can see the remnants of it because it's a voice from your past, a voice that's speaking to you about who you are and, and, and who you believe that you are. I'm just going to continue in this story of David because I want to tell you a little bit more about David. He was running from King Saul and he received news that Samuel had died. He arose and he began to go on his way. He wasn't going on his own. He had these 400 men that were with him. Now, so, so here they are. They're fleeing for their life. They're running through the forest. And as they begin to run through their forest, they begin to see all of these animals that are around them. These not just, not just wild animals, but they see a bunch of sheep and they see a bunch of goats. And so now you have somebody who, uh, he, he's not only running for his life and he's not only grieving the loss of the the one prominent voice in his life but he's also hungry that's a bad combination i mean it's bad enough when you're just hungry but here he's he's got the the whole combination he's he's hungry he sees all these animals and he stops and and it's not just him that's hungry he's got the rest of them that he's, he has with them 
and they're traveling and they're hungry and they, they, they look and they see, they, they begin, they're not seeing sheep and goats. They're seeing, they're seeing, you know, a bunch of lamb chops and rump steaks and back straps. And that's, I mean, they see this and it's like, oh, that sounds good. I think we ought to stop right here. And so he looks at the guys who are with him and he tells them, okay, these are obviously somebody's animals. I'm not one that would steal. And so how about let's take eight of you to go down and I want you to go and, and find the owner of these sheep and these goats. And I want you just to ask him kindly if he, if, if we could take a few of them so that we could, could have dinner and then we'll be on our way and, and we'll, we'll pay him. Uh, don't worry about, you know, he doesn't have to worry about that, but just, just go and get permission that we could have some dinner for tonight. So these men, they say, yeah, David, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll go. So they go down, they, they, they go and they, they find, get on their horses and they find the owner of these animals. The owner was a man named Nabal. As they arrive, it says that at Nabal, he was there, he was shearing the sheep. And as they come to him, they, they, they come and uh, they, they ask him, they say, hey, we're with David. And he was just wanting to know if we could have some of the sheep and a few of your goats because we're pretty hungry. This was the response from Nabal. You ready for it? He said, who is David? But it doesn't stop there. He continued on. He said, and who is the son of Jesse? The Bible says that he railed on David. Now listen, he, he wasn't just saying, I don't know who David is. Because everybody knew who David was. Everybody in Israel, all of them in that area, they knew who David was. All the kids in the Hebrew schools had little slingshots that they would carry around in their back pocket. And they'd play at recess, you know, the, the giant killer. And they, they all knew the story. That's, there were songs about David that were being sung throughout. This was not a man that was a backwoods man. It says that Nabal was very prominent. It, he knew who David was. There was no doubt about that. And, and so we, we come, you know, why is it? Why, why is he he coming to him and saying, who is David? It was not the fact of just saying, I don't know who this guy is. He was railing on David. And he says, who is David? Who is this guy? Who, what is he, who does he think he is? And not only that, but who is the son of Jesse? And now I want you to know just a little bit about David. Because now, now this it comes to us, we, we see the story of David and, and his, his lineage, his family. We see a little bit of it in, in Scripture. And we know that his father was Jesse and that David, he had, uh, he had uh, seven or eight, eight brothers. And, uh, and he was the youngest of them. Now, we don't see in Scripture very much about the mother of David. But there is a, a Jewish story or there is a Jewish history that would tell us a little bit about the mother of David. And we see then glimpses of this, it's, it, it seems to be, that come to us from Scripture that would verify this part about David's life. And the, the Jewish history of David's mother, the Jewish story, goes like this. 
that she was a woman that when she got pregnant with David, she was falsely accused of having a relationship with someone else and that she was going to conceive David from an adulterous relationship. Now, she wasn't put away, but she was kept in the house. And it appeared in Jewish history that David grew up in a house where he, where his father did not think that David was his son. There's a, there's a psalm that David writes where he says, I'm a foreigner in my own house. I'm an alien to my brothers. And when someone is accused of lying or stealing something in the street, they say it is me because I am a fatherless child. David, he appears to grow up in his dad's house. And while he's there, he's not really a part. He's in the same house, but he, he doesn't eat at the same table as everybody else. It was said that David, he grew up feeling rejected from his father because from the day that he was born. He was an alien in his own house. He was a stranger, even around those who he was supposed to be blood related to. And, and he's growing up in his house until all of a sudden, a voice from God comes down to the prophet Samuel. And he says, I want you to go down to Jesse's house. And I want you to anoint one of his sons to be my king. And Samuel gets up and and he goes to Jesse's house and he tells him, the Lord has sent me to your house to anoint one of your sons as the next king of Israel. And so what does Jesse do? He goes and he gathers eight of his sons or seven of the eight sons. And Eliab, the oldest, comes and he stands before the prophet. And the prophet says, oh, it's usually the oldest one. And he goes and he begins to step forward and God stops him. That's not the one. And he continues on, on down the line. It's all seven of them that that Jesse had brought before Samuel and God, this isn't the one until finally Je- uh, uh, Samuel says to Jesse, do you have any more sons? Well, there is one that's keeping the sheep. It would be said for the first time in David's life, he's about to be recognized as one who would finally belong as Jesse's son. You do belong here. That this is your family. This is who you are. That that you've been lied about. And this is not the story. The story that has been told about you is not true. And as Samuel uh, begins to, to speak and, uh, and, and he anoints, Jesse, uh, anoints David as the one, the son of Jesse, the one who would come. Come on, all these things of, of who he was growing up and all these, this, this uh, a way that he just didn't belong. He didn't fit in in, the, in his house. All of this rejection that he had felt begins to be pushed aside because God says, this is my anointed one. This is the one that I've chosen to be the next king of Israel. And all of a sudden, some things begin to turn around in David's life. And yet, here he is. He begins to have some validation that's coming to his life through the mouth of Samuel. He's been validated by Samuel. He was anointed to be the next king. In fact, his parentage was finally affirmed by the prophet, but yet he lived with insecurity of how he was raised. He lives with this insecurity of knowing I always grew up as somebody who was rejected. Will my brothers receive me? Will I be loved by my father? And this is 
deeply rooted in him and you know is he is he going to be accepted now has he been validated by god and in god's prop, prop god's prophet absolutely he's been validated but there's this voice inside of him that was that it's a voice that's coming from years of rejection from his childhood there's a, vo- there's a verse or something that jesus says that he says uh do not uh do not offend one of these little ones now, there are there are so many people who go through counseling as adults because of something that happened when they were just three or five years old. The things that happened to them when they were a preteen. It formed something in their mind that created a voice that's saying, You're not enough. You're not valuable. You're not loved. I'd say that there's somebody here tonight that there are things that have happened in your past. That even though you know who you are in Jesus Christ, you still have insecurities in your life, things and a voice that will speak into you and tell you that you are not enough. You are not valuable. You are not loved. You are not able to do all the things that God would want to do in you. You are, you, you can't do any of that because of who you were and, 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 not, not even just the things that others said about you, but there are things that you did and you know that you did them and that causes you to have these insecurities in your life and you know that you, and, and you're just held back by this voice that's, that's, that's speaking to you from your past and these insecurities that are coming up and I'm telling you that there are some insecurities. There's things that David was dealing with that we, that we see in David in the way that all of a sudden uh, Nabal, he says this about David. He says, who is is David and who is the son of Jesse? And when that word gets back to David, there is such a, a, a fury that David gets into when he hears what this man said about him. He gets furious and it doesn't really make sense. Why would he let the voice of somebody who doesn't really matter, doesn't really matter anything, you know, doesn't, doesn't play any part in his future? This is just a, this is a nobody. It's, it's Nabal. Just move on to the next house. Just move on to the next place that has food. And he gets furious. He says to his people, get over here. I want us to go down. We're going to gather up our swords. We're going to go and we're going to kill every male that's there, that's there in the house of Nabal. Not just of the men, but every animal, everything that is there. We're going to kill them all. And he gets angry about this. And I would say that it's not just the fact of the voice of Nabal, but it was a voice that was speaking to something within David. An insecurity in David about who he was. When he says, who is David and who is the son of Jesse? This is an insecurity about who am I? Am I really meant to be king? My one voice of validation has just died. And I'm here in this transition period and I'm feeling lost. I've been running. I'm hungry. I'm in a place and this man comes up and he speaks to the one deepest seated insecurity that I have. Am I really who God says I am? Are you really who God says you are? Are you really an overcomer? Are you really able to get past all the hurt? Are you really able to get past all of the 
things that are holding you back. Well, I've come here tonight to tell you that you are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. Quit living in yesterday's rejection. Quit erasing your future over someone who loved, who you loved, and, and, and now they're past and they're gone and their voice is no longer in your life. Quit, quit erasing the fact that Jesus Christ has a future for you. Come on, quit erasing that with the voices that are trying to speak into your mind and telling you that your past is holding you back. Oh, you have a future in Jesus Christ. You have been anointed and you have been called for a purpose. Well, and I'll take it a little further. Those mistakes in your, in your past, those things that have defined you for far too long, put them down. Don't let them hold you back any longer. Jesus Christ has already paid the price for them. And He has come to tell you that old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Come on, that you are blessed. Your marriage is going to be blessed. Your children are going to be blessed. At the hand of God is going to be upon your life. This is what God is calling you to. You are a child of God. You have royal blood in your veins. The hand of God is upon your life. So you can walk out of service, walk out of a service like tonight, and you can, you can say, you know, stand in here and you can say, wow, I, I think that I think that I do have a calling upon my life. I do believe it. And then all of a sudden, a voice of insecurity can come. It's doubt. It's insecurity. All these things of, you know, these, this validation of really who you are. Some doubt creeps back in. Something that you thought was dormant. But deep down inside of you, there's this voice of insecurity that cripples you. And that's where David found himself in this moment. We find him in this moment. He goes and he is angry about what Nabal had said about him. He gathers his troops, gathers his army. He says, guys, let's get down there. I'm, I, I'm sick of this. I don't like what he just said about me. I'm tired of being disrespected. And so they're getting ready to go down. And, and this, this thing that, it, it, again, it's, it's not really what Nabal said. It's about something about what David believed about himself. And when Nabal said that, it reinforced something about himself that he believed. Okay. And, and it got him angry because, because this is, you know, maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. But I, I'm going to prove it. Not to be true. And now, so he goes and he's, he's, he's on his way there. And now, and now if the scripture tells us, and I'm gonna, I'm trying to hurry to a, to a close here soon, but the scripture tells us that the wife of Nabal was a, a woman named Abigail. And, and Abigail what says, uh, she was a woman of a, a, a good countenance. She was a, uh, had a very fair countenance. She looked uh, beautiful, but she not only looked beautiful, she was wise. And, and she was very much unlike her husband, who it says was churlish and he was evil in his ways. And so when word gets to Abigail of what happened, there's some, some people that come to her and they say, hey, did you hear who visited us? And no, tell me, who was it? And, and they say, David, David came to, to the house. What did David want? You mean David, the one that's got uh, 
You know, the, the giant killer, the one who I know he's in the area. He stopped by our house. Yeah, he stopped here. Well, what did he want? He, he wanted just a little bit of food for him and his men. And, and they asked your husband, you know what your husband said? I probably know what my husband said. Yeah, your husband, he said that he couldn't have any food. Husband of mine, and she begins to go, and she, and then they, they tell him, and now, and I've heard, I've heard that David is angry about this, and he's on his way, and he has a bunch of men, and they have their swords drawn, they're they're coming this way, and so it says that Abigail began hurriedly to gather together a feast for the people, and it says that she got together uh, two hundred uh, two hundred cakes or two hundred pieces of bread, and she she went, and there were uh, there were some lambs that were already chopped up. And they were ready to be served. And, and she got 200 uh, things of raisins, uh, or clusters of raisins. And she got all these uh, things of, of bread or uh, of food that they could present to the people of David as they were coming. And so they get, go and they gather all this and they put it on some donkeys and they gather and they, they start to head the way that David is coming from. And, and they intervene, David. Or they, 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 Catch him as he's coming down and, and as, as he sees all these donkeys and these, these women that are there, they stop in their tracks. And it says that Abigail, she gets off of her donkey and she slides off the donkey and she comes and she gets down on her knees and she says, Oh, David, I'm sorry for what my husband said to you. Don't mind him. Don't listen to the voice of my husband for he is what his name says about him. If you know what, uh, what that word Nabal means, it means a fool. She'd been with him long enough. She says he is exactly what his name means. He is just a fool. Don't listen to the voice of my husband. But I want you to know that I know who you are. And you are the next king of Israel. And I want you to take this food right here. And I want you and your men to take what we have to offer. And I'm telling you that all of a sudden what one voice would say about him that wasn't uh, speaking to the insecurities of David. There was always another voice in your time of transition that will tell you that your insecurities do not define who you are. But there is hope and there is truth to the future of who God says you are. And I want you to begin to listen to the voice of Abigail that's in, that begins to speak into your life and take a hold of the voice that will speak to the future and speak to the voice of God and what God has promised about who you are. Come on, that voice that it speaks to your insecurities, it's going to be there. But I want to set that voice aside and say that's just a foolish voice. I don't want to listen to that. I want to listen to the voice of Abigail. I want to listen to that one. In fact, if you go on down the story, and I'm coming to a close here, if you go on down the story, it tells us that just a few days later that Nabal fell down dead and he and he now being dead it tells us that David circled back around and he brought Abigail and he 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 espoused her made her his wife and he says I want somebody with a voice like this speaking into my life and I'm telling you what I want you to do is to begin to come into covenant with that kind of voice come into covenant with the voice that speaks to, to your future and begins to speak come on about what God is trying to do in your life and there's somebody here today who's in this place of transition 
Somebody here today that's in the time of transition in your life. You have voices that are speaking to you and you have, you have time. Some, some, some have been in time of transition for a long time. And you're there and you feel, I, I feel like God is, has some plans for me. And I feel like there is something that, that he wants to, to do in my life. But, but yet I've been facing trial after trial after trial. And that voice is speaking to you right now in your transition that's telling you, yeah, all these trials. Those are all indications that you are not really who God says you are. You are never going to fulfill the things that God has called you to fulfill. You're not good enough. You can't do it. There's that voice that's speaking to you. Well, would I want to be a voice right now that can begin to speak to you and tell you that God, He has never left, never let His promises die. That God's promises are yea and amen. They will come to pass. Come on, you continue to hold on to the promises of God. You continue to, to listen to the voice of God that's speaking in your life and telling you there's more. You're made for more. You're made for more. Can we stand in this place? When you're made for more, you're made for more today. In your place of transition, in your place where you are right now, I'm telling you, come on, you don't have to listen to that voice that's telling you that you are not, you're, you, you, are, you are not able to do the things that God is calling you to. That you're never going to fulfill it. That you're never going to be good enough. Well, don't listen to that voice right now. But I wish there would be somebody right now who could begin to cry out and say, Lord, Lord, let me cling to that other voice. Just as David clung to the voice of Abigail and he brought her in to covenant with himself. God, let me come into covenant with the voice that will speak life. Lord, let me come into covenant with the voice, God, that will speak, Lord, that the things that, that you would uh, want to speak into my life. Lord, I pray that that voice and that my time of transition would continue to propel me forward. Come on, would there be somebody right now who could cry out and just say, Lord, help me right now, Lord Jesus, not to give up on my future. God, help me not to, help me not to just sit in my place, Lord, of, of hopelessness, but God, let me, Lord, realize that even in this time, God, where it feels like I'm all alone and I don't have those around me that used to speak encouragement into my life. I don't have on that mother, that father that was always there to encourage me. Or I don't have on that husband or wife. I don't have on that person that was always there to encourage me. God, let me still have a voice that would speak into my life and tell me, God, that I am who you say I am. God, I pray that you would just help this church, God, to be a church, God, that would be the encourager, that would be a voice right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, help us in this place to be encouragers. Help us in this place to be somebody, Lord, that would build others up. Lord, help us in this place to be those that would that would speak life into other situations. God, help us in this place to be the ones that are like Samuel or like Abigail, Lord, the ones who are who are lifting us, lifting others up around us. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that we would be in tune, God, with the voice that you would ha- that you would speak into us, Lord, that we, God. 
God are not who our past says we are, but we are new in you. God, we are new creation. Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen, amen. Hallelujah, God. Come on, if there's somebody here right now who needs just to, just to hear that voice, that voice of God that would reinforce His promises. You can just lift up a hand. You can just press forward. God, I believe. We'll just speak it out. God, I believe it. God, I believe it. God, I believe the promises that say that I am yours. God, I believe the promises that say, well, that I'm an overcomer. Jesus, help me in my time of transition, God, when I feel all alone. God, that I know that you're right here with me, that you didn't forsake me. Lord Jesus, we love you. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Amen. I want to encourage you to search for that voice in your life, but also to be that voice for somebody else. Amen. Be that voice of encouragement. Be that voice that would build others up. Be a voice, amen, in this time of discouragement that we could encourage others. Amen. I believe that God has great things in store for those that are in this place right here. Amen. Amen. If you believe that, you can put your hands together. In Jesus' name. Bless you, church. I'm so, so privileged to to. Be a, the pastor of this church, of church, amen, that loves God, pursues Him, amen. I want to encourage you to do that throughout this week, amen, that uh, all those that you would come in contact with this week, that you would be an encourager, that you would pursue God in everything that you do. God bless you. You are dismissed at this time, amen. We'll see you Sunday for all that we have in store on Sunday. God bless you.